Welcome to Growing in Grace with Pastor Victor Morrison. This is a ministry of First Baptist Church located at 1700 Milam Street, Columbus, Texas. We are praying that God will bless you as you listen to this message. If you would like additional information on worship times and ministries at FBC Columbus, you can find out more at our website, fbccolumbustx.org. And now, take your copy of God's Timeless Word as Pastor Victor gives today's message. Welcome back to Growing in Grace. So glad you're with us today. I want to talk about a psalm. It's Psalm 145. Psalm 145. You know, this psalm is very unique in the sense that it is the last of David's 73 psalms that we know that he wrote. And so some were, it's not clear if he did or not, but we know that he wrote 73. And this is the last of those. Uh, It's also interesting how it's very unique in another way. Um, Psalm 17 and Psalm 86 have a title at the beginning of the psalm, A Prayer of David. But perhaps you've never read this. I had never learned this until I spent time uh, just meditating on it and reading about it. But Psalm 145 is very unique in the sense that it is ascribed as not a prayer of David like the other two, but a praise of David. It's the only one. Even though David praises the Lord in many of the Psalms that uh, the Holy Spirit had him write, he never gave it the title of a praise of David. So if it's his last one, then just think about, I think that um, James Montgomery Boyce was right when he said about Psalm 145, that it is a fit summary of all David had learned about God during a long lifetime of following hard after the Almighty. Wow, isn't that amazing? I think that just speaks of the volume, um, the depth and the value of this uh, wonderful Psalm. J.I. Packer uh, used to point to God's question in Isaiah 40 and verse 25. And J.I. Packer used to say, with God's own words, to whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal? There is no one equal to the Lord our God. And that's what's so great about him. So that's just a few words to let you know where we're headed. I want us to look at this great Psalm 145. And I want to give this devotion the title, Admiring the Crown Jewel of Praise. Spurgeon called it the crown jewel of David's praises. And so I want us to look at it from that perspective. Did you know that since the 1600s, the crown jewels have been protected at the Tower of London? The crown jewels are the most precious collection of treasures. They're comprised of more than 100 different objects and over 23,000 different gemstones. So I want us to look at this collection that I feel is even more valuable, more exquisite, more beautiful than our minds could ever comprehend. Because what David does, he tells us, this is what I see in God. This is what God revealed to me about himself. This is what I learned over the course of my entire life. 
Let me read Psalm 145, and then I just want to share with you five specific character qualities of God that I see in this passage. He says in Psalm 145, verse 1, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Well, as you can imagine, just like London Tower, this is an incredibly packed, packed warehouse of just so much about God's amazing character. So I'm just going to select from it five, five things that just are so wonderful. They stand out to me as I just observe them. I want to compare them to, well, gemstones. You know, I was talking about the crown jewels that are uh, protected within the Tower of London. I want to uh, tell you about one crown that's in there, and then we're going to look at the Lord and his character. The Imperial State Crown has five gemstones. There are 2,868 diamonds on the Imperial State Crown. There are 17 sapphires, 11 emeralds, 269 pearls, and four rubies. So what I want us to do is to look at God and how wonderful and amazing and majestic he is. And let's think in terms of what are the gemstones of the Lord our God, his character and his qualities, his attributes. I want to begin with the diamond of God's greatness. 
You know, greatness is mentioned uh, several times, like in verse three, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. I'd say that's some amazing greatness, wouldn't you? Wow. But it's mentioned again down in verse uh, six, they shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. When I read these verses, I thought I've got to declare God's greatness. So that's how I just wanted to begin as we look at the diamond of God's greatness. What makes God so great? Well, of course, there are several things that make him great, so we can't cover them all. So I just wanted to point out two things that seem to David, they seem to me, I hope they will seem to you just astounding when we think about who God is. He's the Lord God, the Almighty. And yet think about this. He desires a personal relationship with each one of us. I found that great. (laughs) I find that great that he wants a personal relationship. Listen to how David phrases things in verses one and two. I will extol you, my God and King. Bless your name forever and ever. Every day I'll bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Doesn't it sound like he's talking about someone he knows personally? I just find it amazing that God being so powerful, having so much authority, and yet God says, I want to have a personal relationship with each of you through my son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow, it's just so amazing Verse six, David says, they shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. I'm telling you, God isn't just some impersonal force. Oh no, no friend. He is a person that is wanting us to enter into a personal relationship with him. But then what I thought was also equally amazing is the permanent rule. You know, David says, you're my king. But notice what he says next after he calls the Lord his king. He says, and I will bless your name forever and ever. You know, when will God not be king? When will someone else take over his throne? Never. He will be Lord. He will be king of kings and Lord of lords forever and ever. And so that's why he's describing him as someone whose greatness is unsearchable. I think it's so unsearchable because it'll never end. And so I just urge you, I encourage you, please walk in the direction of Jesus Christ and enter in to a personal relationship with this Lord God, the Almighty, who says, I would love to have a personal relationship with you. To me, I find that great. And who also says, I'll be on this throne waiting for you forever and ever and ever. That's phenomenal. I just would compare it to a diamond. But I would also look beyond just the diamond of his greatness to the sapphire of his glory. You know, God's glory is also described in these verses. For example, in verses four and five, he says, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I'll meditate. I think David was just astounded whenever he got to know God across the course of his whole life. 
the more that he learned about God, the more he thought, I am just standing in awe of this wonderful God who is choosing to love me and to work in my life and through my life. You know, when I saw God's glory, there were two things that I thought seemed to describe um, the glory of God best, the glory of his might and the glory of his majesty. And the more I looked at verse four and five, verse 11, 12, and 13, the more I thought, there they are, the same pair. I'm seeing over and over the glory of God's might and the glory of his majesty. Let me show you what I mean. In verse four, he says, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. So there's no question we're talking about the glory of God's power, right? But now listen when you go into verse five, it's no longer about his power. It's about his majesty, his beauty. It says, on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. Those two things keep going as you drop down into verse 11 and 12 and 13. What I find staggering is in each of these verses, it's like we get a little taste of each one, both the power and then also the majesty. They shall speak of the glory, he says in verse 11, of your kingdom and tell of your power. Did you hear both in there? The glory of his might and the glory of his majesty. But then watch what happens in verse 12. To make known to the children of man your mighty deeds. Oh, his power. And the glorious splendor of your kingdom. You see there the majesty? But then you go into verse 13. And once again, you see this same pattern. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. His kingdom is so majestic, it's so powerful, right? And that's where he goes with the second half of the verse when he says, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. So over and over again, I see the glory of God in all the ways that he shows us his might in all the ways that he shows us his majesty. I find that so much more, I don't know, valuable. It's so beautiful. It, it just far outshines any sapphire that we may have seen in our lives. Well, let me drop down to a third quality that we see highlighted in this uh, wonderful psalm. I think that God's goodness is also showcased by David in this psalm. He's praising the Lord for his goodness in verse 7, verse 9, and verse 10. Remember that crown, the imperial state crown, how, yes, it had diamonds. Yes, it had sapphires, but it also had emeralds. And so when I was thinking about God's goodness, I couldn't help but think perhaps his goodness is sort of like an emerald. When you see in verse seven, he says, they shall pour forth the fame of of your abundant goodness. So he's saying people from all around the world through all these generations, they're gonna keep praising the Lord and giving him glory for the fame of his abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Hey, that kind of makes me think about something. You know, there are different, different aspects of God's goodness. 
you know, is he good in the sense that he's going to always give us what we want to do? Or is he good in the sense that he's always going to do what's right? He's always going to do what's holy. Listen to the verse again. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. You see, that's why I believe that what David learned about God is that God is good, but his goodness is a moral goodness. Not everyone would agree with God on his standards of morality, on his standards of what is upright, what is holy, what is healthy, and what is wholesome. So I just thought his goodness is expressed to us in these moral stances that he takes as we read through Scripture. And I drop down through verse to verses 9 and 10, and I notice yet another aspect of his goodness. You see, what if you, what if I, what if we violate his moral standards? In his moral goodness, he tells us, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. So he tells us these things, right? But what if we do that? There's another aspect of his goodness that's highlighted in verses 9 and 10. The Lord is good, there's the same word again, to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. You know what I think people are going to give thanks for? I think they're going to give thanks for the moral goodness. Thank you, Lord, for telling me the truth. But I think they'll also say, I'm so grateful that you had mercy on me when I blew it, when I made those mistakes. I find that wonderful about God is not only is God's goodness a moral goodness. Hey, friend, it's also a merciful goodness. We can see that on the cross. There's a new song that's relatively new right now. I don't know when you'll be hearing this broadcast, but I love this song by Toby Mack. Toby Mack sings a song called The Goodness. And what he's singing about is the goodness of God in his life. And so I encourage you sometime when you have a chance, you are listen to that song. If you're like me, you're not going to be able to sit there quietly. You're going to be singing along. But why don't we keep going along with David I don't know if you've noticed this, but I think David is singing Psalm 145 in the key of G. So we've looked at his greatness. We looked at God's glory. We looked at his goodness. It would not be complete if we're looking at who God is revealing himself to be in Psalm 145 without also adding a fourth one. Yes, God's grace. Pearls of God's grace. Wow. You know, a pearl begins with an irritation, right? Deep within an oyster, there's a little grain of sand. And so that oyster begins to coat that grain of sand because it's irritating and he covers it and he covers it and he covers it until it produces a pearl that someday a diver, wherever, I used to see them diving in the Philippines, but wherever they find those oysters, they, they open those up and inside where you wouldn't think it would be is a pearl. I can't help but think that even though we come to God like an irritating grain of sand, God says, watch what I can do in your life. I can bring an incredible, beautiful masterpiece out of all that you've given to me. So I thought, thank you, God, for the ability of your grace. 
I want you to look with me at verse 8 and 14. I think these two verses speak to that ability of God's grace. He said, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So that's just who God is. He is gracious, right? But how would you describe when he brings his greatness, uh, his goodness and his grace into a life? What does it look like when we experience and taste his grace? I like verse 14. I think it's a beautiful picture of grace. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. Isn't that phenomenal? That's what I'd say about grace. Grace is uplifting. Grace is like a buoy when you're sinking in an ocean of your own sin and failures and so forth. Suddenly it's like all of that is lifted up when you turn to the Lord Jesus Christ in repentance and faith. And I think, thank you, God, for the ability of your grace that you lift us up. But wouldn't it be sad if all of that ability of God's favor and God's grace was only limited to just a few people? Well, I love it that verses 18 through 21 speak. These verses speak to the availability of God's grace. What about you? Would God have grace upon you if you turn from sin, if you turn to Christ's perfect atonement on the cross and you put your faith in him? Would God forgive someone like you? Well, here's what the word of God says, verse 18. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. If you really mean it, if you're being straight with him from your heart, it says in verse 19, well, he fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. Hey, they're saving grace. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. Wow. I just find that mentioned over and over again. Even in verse 21, my mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Wow. I love the accessibility, the availability of God's grace, that it's just like a string of pearls that is available to any that would turn to the Lord and say, I'm sorry, God, for my sin. Would you forgive me in Christ's sinless, perfect blood? Well, let's move to the final uh, G that we see in this passage, generosity. Hey, generosity is almost, in my opinion, like a ruby, the ruby of God's generosity. I see this in verse 15, 16, and 17. Let me share this with you as we bring this to a close. It says in verse 15, the eyes of all look to you and you, get this, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. Aren't you glad he's kind? Aren't you glad he's a giver? Aren't you glad that he's generous? Oh my goodness. When I was looking at this uh, passage, I couldn't help once again to think about the impartiality of his generosity. The eyes of all look to you. 
Isn't that, you know, there's even a passage, isn't there, in the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus is describing his father, and he says, you know what the father does? He causes the rain to fall on the good and the evil, the sun to shine on the good and the evil. And I'm thinking, there's no one without excuse. I mean, God is so impartial in his generosity. Hasn't he given you life and breath today? Man, you've got the goodness of God and the grace of God and the generosity of God has already come knocking at your door every single day of your life. Man, I love it. The impartiality of his generosity, but also notice the impeccability of God's generosity, the impeccability of his generosity. I know that sometimes people try to spin it and they try to tell us, well, there's countries around the world where, you know, they don't have enough to eat. But you know what? I think someday we're going to stand before God. And I think that governments or leaders or people within these countries, they're going to give account for starving people because I really believe that God has provided everything that is necessary on the face of the earth to feed all the people of the earth, to take care of the people of the earth. It's just that sometimes those supplies get cut off. We also have opportunities to share whenever we say, okay, I've been given more than I need, so I want to share from what I have with people who are still in need of basics like food, clothing, um, shelter, those kind of things. And so I think that the Lord, He has provided all that is necessary because He's a generous God. No one will stand there before His throne someday and say, kind of like, do you remember how um, the older son in the prodigal of the parable of the prodigal son, how the older brother, remember what he said? The older brother says to the father, you never gave me. And yet I wonder if that father looked at him and couldn't believe that the son that had always sat there at his table, eating his food, he had slept under the shelter of the father's house. He had access to all the father's, you know, everything on the ranch, basically, you know, whatever they were raising, they had access to all of it. All of that. And the older brother says, you never gave me a fatted calf or all these other things. And what did the father say? He said, all that I have belongs to you. Don't you see what I'm trying to say? Listen to my heart. I want to try my best to put it in words. There is a God in heaven who loves you so much. He is such an incredibly generous God. He's a gracious God. He's a good God. He's a glorious God. And let me tell you, he's a great God. He has revealed himself in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what the whole Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, it's all about him. It's God disclosing, revealing to us more of the incredible things that David felt inspired by the Holy Spirit to write about. What are you going to write about? What will you sing about? This was David's song. What's your song today? I want to close by just praying that God would fill your day, uh, fill your heart with a song to sing, a song of praise, 
Why don't we say someday that the people around you, they're going to admire the crown jewels of your praise and what God has taught you. Why don't you let your children, your grandchildren, let those at work, those at school around you, those in your neighborhood, why don't you let them enjoy uh, the crown jewels of praise by lifting up his praise in their presence? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let me pray for you. Oh, Lord, I love my friends that uh, come to listen uh, in here at Growing in Grace. Uh, we enjoy hanging out together because we focus all of our attention around your word. And Lord, uh, we, we cover various topics here, but one topic stands above all of them, and that is just simply who you are. Lord, you are the one that we admire most of all. Uh, there's a lot of principles and a lot of truths that we hold, hold dear. We treasure them in our hearts. But the greatest truths of all are the truths that you have revealed of the kind of God that you are. Thank you so much for being so powerful and yet so majestic and yet so gracious, so good, so generous. Lord, um, I pray that you would fill each of our hearts today with a song of praise. Regardless of what life is like, regardless of what it's been like today at work, regardless of what it's like in our family, regardless of all the difficult things that we're going through in our health, regardless of what we don't have financially and materially, I pray that this day we would say, I've got something I can sing about. I'm going to sing about the Lord's praises because He is such a good God to me. So bless my friends. Give them a great day in Jesus. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Listen, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm just asking God to really give you just an incredible insight that you would open your eyes to the goodness of the Lord. This is a ministry of First Baptist Church located at 1700 Milam Street, Columbus, Texas.